I've been describing what we're going through is kind of like I'm in a vehicle and I look through the back window and I remember what it was like. Remember, Rolf, we could travel around the world and go on a ticket. And remember, that didn't seem that long ago. I'm looking through the side window. Boy, this is a, this is a very different world that I'm looking through the side. And the front part of my car is absolutely uncertain and things that I've never seen before. Welcome to Deviate with Rolf Potts. Today I talk about how the COVID-19 pandemic has affected and will affect the travel industry. Of course, it's probably way too soon to prognosticate in any concrete way, and I don't typically report about the travel industry itself. So I wanted to ground the conversation in the values that motivate travel for people who think travel is more than just a consumer experience. This in mind, I called up my old friend Sean Keener, who you might recall from episode 55, which focused on how travel has changed in the past 20 years. Sean is CEO of the Boots and All Travel Network and chairman of Airtrex, and a part of the reason why I wanted to talk to him is that almost one decade ago, he asked me to help Boots and All articulate their core values in a statement we called the Indie Travel Manifesto, which argued that interactions are more important than transactions when it comes to travel, that private transformation is more important than bragging rights, that local information counts for more than received information, and that it would do us all well to travel with more patience, humility, and good humor. Actually, it feels like the lessons we learn when we travel slowly and curiously in the vagabonding style can give us skills that are useful in other aspects of life. This includes our current pandemic when the willingness to adapt to extraordinary circumstances makes you a stronger part of your community. The experience of not having known what would happen next in old travel contexts can help put you at ease amid the current uncertainty. And even the experiences of, say, having stayed in crowded hostel dorms gives you the skills and courtesies that can help you better endure sheltering in place with other people. As for the economics of travel itself, it's probably too soon to speculate since the travel industry is mired in what amounts to a guessing game right now. You know, it's weird in retrospect, but one thing I mentioned to Sean in the interview is that way back in February, when coronavirus was in the news but not yet a pandemic and we had no idea how it would affect us, I put together a draft of an essay called Why I Still Plan to Go to Europe on My Grand Tour This Summer. At the time, I was researching a trip to Italy with my nephew Luke, who's due to graduate from high school in May. And since when I was his age, I'd let vague anxieties keep me from traveling one generation ago, I didn't want to let another set of vague fears derail our trip in 2020. I'm not going to make my travel decisions based on generalized fear, I wrote. I'm going to make my decisions based on data that pertains to the exact places I visit at the exact time I plan to be there. Well, as we all know now, those vague fears became concrete and real with each passing day in late February, and by early March, I ended up scrapping that essay altogether, along with my plans to get a ticket to Italy in late May. Keeping in mind how quickly things changed just a few weeks ago, Sean and I didn't want to make predictions about the travel industry moving forward, so much as just think out loud about what it's like to love travel in the context of how the travel industry is changing right now. We will travel again, to be sure, it's just hard to know just what travel will look like down the road. Thus, Sean and I tried to stay honest and realistic when we discussed what was and wasn't sustainable in the way we traveled before the pandemic, and how the travel industry will probably have to change as a result. We talk about how independent travel of the sort I champion and vagabonding will probably help pioneer the new way we travel, since vagabonding-style journeys have always emphasized figuring things out in the face of uncertainty. After all, travel predates the creation of the global travel industry, and what form it takes in the future is something we'll continue to be figuring out in the months to come. 
No doubt I'll return to this topic in this podcast from time to time in the future. We start today's short episode by talking about how fast things have changed in the very recent past. Let's listen in. You know, Sean, um, I was looking at my calendar and in, in a certain sense, it seems like 7,000 years ago that I was planning a trip to Italy, but it was actually mid-February. February 17th, I posted you know requests on Facebook to people to send me some ideas. People sent me some great ideas. You know, I was talking with you because um, I wanted to take an Airtrex itinerary with my nephew through Europe. Sure, sure. And and then when this first hit, you know, you and I were sort of discussing things, and we talked about me writing an essay, which in retrospect I'm glad was never published. But basically, yeah, yeah, totally. To, to, but it was sort of a conventional wisdom essay that, that basically said, well, let's wait and see, because I've been through a lot of other scares, including terrorism, other pandemics. Let's not be too rash about things. Well, now that seems like ancient history. And in fact, it in sure does. 2020 hindsight, it's like idiotic that I would even consider giving this advice to wait and see, because within within two weeks, that was, I think I submitted that essay to you, Sean, on March 5th yeah. with the instructions, yeah. with the instructions, let's wait a few days and see. Well, you know, it was a pandemic less than a week later, and um, sure, we sure. were on lockdown very quickly. So, so keeping in mind that this is sort of like history is happening as we're talking, um, I, I'd love to hear your perspective as a travel industry guy of what you've seen, sure. what you've heard, and what you foresee happening as this plays out and it moves forward and we try to travel again. Rolf, I'd say you know, I, my level of certainty is probably at an all time low. Yeah. And I don't mean that in a bad way. I'm, I'm actually pretty excited. There was a feeling inside me in the past five, 10 years of just consumerism, growth companies and things going from zero to a billion in a matter of years. And it just didn't, nature doesn't grow like that. <laughs> Something was uneasy inside of me. And I, I'm a little bit relieved that we've slowed down. Not again, not the, the bad part about this where people are being hurt and the economy and all that sort of stuff. But maybe this is, you know, I don't know if this, like, that's actually what I told the Washington post and they didn't publish it Ooh, huh. when we were in that article, you know, it was a little disappointing. Cause that was like my key point was huh. they were just hitting on the, you know, travel people and what they say. And it was so it was kind of, well, so yes. so my listeners know this is a Washington Post yeah. roundup. It, it, it was you and me and Tony Wheeler of Lonely Planet and Samantha Brown of the Travel Channel. Uh, it was a sure. nice little slate of travelers talking about just sort of where we are and what we canceled and what we think about all this. That's interesting that they took this out because, yeah. you know, a lot yeah. of this, a lot of our assumptions about the world are predicated on the idea of continual growth, you know, that, that yep. continual yep. economic growth. And I think what's interesting to about this to talk to you as the Airtrex guy, instead of talking to like the CEO of, of a major airline or, you know, multinational right. conglomerate is that like, you're a traveler, you have values, you, you do it. You're like, oh, yeah. you're like hair club for men. You know, you're, you're not only yep. a, a uh, you don't only own the company, you're a customer, you know, and I, and I'm the same yeah, way. Totally. I mean, I think that's why we've been yeah. partners for 20 years. So I'm really curious then to get your perspective about how this works as yeah. someone who is, in the travel industry, but isn't like a corporate, you know, zombie. Yep. <laughs> yep. And so I'll so happily share some of those things. And that's, that's really where the, the excitement of this comes. And obviously there's going to be lots of opportunity in all spaces of the world 
you know, looking at our own health, having mm-hmm. some time to slow down our relationships. I mean, I'm loving this. I'm talking to so many people right now outside of I can't hug them. Right. Yeah. I, I like it. Everybody wants to talk to me now. And I just always want to just speak from my heart and what I know and also what I don't know. Right. Because I, I don't know a lot. Yeah. <laughs> like, like, you know, our, a lot of our customers, when can I rebook? I'm like, the earliest we'll look at it is May. Yeah. Right. It, and it could be a lot longer because we don't trust the airlines now. You know, they're, you just cannot trust their schedules. You cannot trust they're going to run flights. Well, you can't trust the coronavirus either, you know. I exactly, mean, yeah. <laughs> there's an extent to which yeah. that any anybody I would interview that had a lot of concrete answers right now, I wouldn't believe anyway. We literally don't know how this virus works. You know, we don't know what recovery and immunity and, and uh, we don't really have a picture yet of what air quotes normal will look like. So keeping that in mind, let's just be as honest and, and as soulful yeah, as possible about what's at stake for your average travelers and then for people like you who, you know, as a profession are helping people travel the world. One thing that I'm curious about just right up front, given that if you trace our emails over the past six weeks, it's as if they've been over the past six decades or something, you know, just time has yeah. really slowed down in a way. And sure. so what are the what are the biggest, as, as someone who's, whose business literally is helping people fly around the world, um, yep. What changes have you seen? What fears have you seen? You know, what have you heard from people? What's what's your gut feeling right now? You know, what's my my gut feeling is that I do not know when folks are going to be able to travel again and I'm not making any promises to our customers and people that want to travel right now cuz I can't. You know, outside of just the virus part of this, there's, you know, second and third order consequences that have gone across the globe that impact the economy and probably almost every aspect of our life. So understanding how to quote, go back to normal is it's hard to envision what will normal be. So how about a timeline, Rolf? I'll tell you that a timeline, this is how what's happened from, you know, air Trek's perspective slash my perspective. And, you know, as you know, we book, we help people book around the world trips and do complex international itineraries. So on Monday, January 25th, I came into the office and I noticed that the number of inquiries was down about 30%. Hmm. And of course, that weekend, our friends in China, uh, you know, they shut down Wuhan. And that is China is a huge part of any round the world itinerary because, you know, most airlines go through there and folks that were planning just saw that, hmm, can't really go to, don't want to go to China right now. Kind of look, it kind of felt. SARSy bird fluey at the yeah. time. Yeah, I don't know if you remember that. So that was the, our first indication. We're like, oh, okay. And many of the folks at Airtrex have been, you know, in the travel in this this part of the business for multi decades. So you know, we discussed it and just kind of thought, well, we better not advise people to go there for now. And then it just kept getting worse and worse and worse as far as pe- the the news sharing. What was happening, of course, it went into Korea and then, you know, Italy and really starting very late February, early March, we can tell it just wasn't going to be like anything we've seen before. Um, and I started, I started offering some of our, some of our colleagues uh, spring sabbaticals back in February because I, I could just kind of tell that this is, you know, we're just not going to have the normal 
year that we we typically have. And really from March 1st through March 14th is when things just, we got to the point on March 14th, which as Skift calls it, the day that world travel stopped. We, we did what we call a stop sell. And we've never actually stopped that before done that. We just could not trust the information we were getting from the airlines. They were canceling flights and changing flights. We were helping our customers come home or in some cases, which I can share with you in a minute, people decided to stay where they are, mm-hmm. right? It wasn't always the best decision. Of course, we, you know, e- each person has to decide where do I want to ride this out, so to speak. And then since basically March 14th, we've just been uh, processing cancellations and refunds and, you know, advocating for our customers, you know, cause some of them still want to travel at some point in the future. And some of them decide, Oh, not going to do that trip. Yeah. <laughs> so, and we're just, you know, in some cases we're waiting cause they don't, their, their flights are not till September or later. So that's an overarching timeline of our, of our experience. You know, we have thousands of people that are about to start a trip or are on a trip or have a trip in the future. And just helping them navigate not only how to change their travel plans, but, you know, there's major parts of their lives that are disrupted. And because we, we have a, you know, generally a talking relationship with most of our clients that we're, we're able to <laughs> hear their stories. What kinds of questions and concerns are you getting right now? Like what are, what do people seem worried about? Well, probably the, the biggest three are there's, you know, I think the air, the air treks traveler is not all that different from a vagabonding traveler, Rolf, that they're, I'd call them more on the hardcore yeah. Yeah. perspective. So some people are like, Oh, are there any deals? You know, and I'm just, <laughs> and you know, because we can't trust the airlines right now, I'm just, I mean, we're not actually seeing many of those at all. And of course we don't want to book. Then there's, a, there's just a, a group of people who are like, well, obviously we need to cancel um, and in, in the airlines have kind of done that for them in most cases, hmm. yeah. right? Cause they just cancel flights. I mean, you saw Qantas, uh, I, I can't, like you said, this has been going on. It feels like six decades, but it's only been a few weeks. They canceled all international travel several weeks ago. And there's, there's lots of international carriers that have done the same or they're, they only have a few flights going. So it's getting on them and then dealing with, potential quarantines and so on and so forth. It's just, it's not something that any travel online travel agency like us, or I don't know, anyone can really manage without just going to the airport and figuring it out. <laughs> and that's really what we did on yeah. March 4th, March 15th. We had, we, we were unable to make changes so that, that we told each of our customers, you know, if you, if you want to go somewhere else, go to the airport. <laughs> Cause that's the only way we think you're going to be able to get on and just figure it out. That's one advantage, I guess, of having a, <laughs> a, a vagabonding demographic. You know, a couple of my episodes, yeah. a few episodes ago, were, were basically travelers' reports from all over the world. And one yeah, yeah. fun aspect is that they're all vagabonding travelers. They're not vacationers who are upset because no. yeah. they may have overpaid for a Mai Tai. Like, they're hardcore. Um, they're, yeah. they're scared, but, but they're tough, you know, totally. so keeping in mind that there's a lot that we don't know, there's a lot that we're still learning. Um, and that a lot of the information we get is sort of fearful speculation. Um, yeah. how do you keep current and how do you, you know, I've talked to a doctor about how he keeps current about information. How do yeah. you, as a guy who, you know, really wants to help people travel if they can, if it's not insane, yeah. 
totally. do you keep how do you keep track of things? The number one thing that we're using at Airtrex and you know other enterprises that I'm involved with, Rolf, is really taking the time to distinguish fact from story. Right. Now, we like to say fact is if we were to video record this, everyone would agree that that is true. Story is something in the future. It's our prognostication, which may or may not be true. (laughs) And I think during this heightened time, most of our amygdalas are, you know, in the fight or flight mode and we're, we're getting attached to story. And I think you and I talked a little bit about this almost a year ago when we talked about 20 years of independent travel. What's changed is this media has gotten so, so powerful in the past 20 years. And I don't think most of the world understands how powerful it is and how it, it guides us to a way of thinking. And, you know, I, for this period of time, since we've been going through this pandemic, I have been watching the news and I hadn't for six or seven years, Rolf, because it was, I, I saw <laughs> this trend happening with the rise of online media, Facebook and Google's power. And it's, it's scary watching the news and it's hard to decipher what is a fact and what is a story. And I'm not talking about politics here. Okay? I'm not talking about one side or the other, especially in the U.S. I know a lot of people are barking about that. But I, I have a hard time distinguishing you know, the titles, the clickbaits. What is a fact? Is that a story that is just there to drive more advertising revenue? Hmm. So those are some of the things that I'm thinking about. We, we apply that back to our business. What's a fact? What have the airlines said? And we just work on that and, and try not to push it out into stories that may or may not be true. Because normally... You know, we could do a Monte Carlo simulation and come up with the five to seven variables and figure out 20% this, 20% that, typical year, blah, 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 blah. We trust trust the airlines. They're going to do this. You know, you book your ticket. This is probably what will happen. You'll have a 15% chance of one of your 10 flights being delayed or canceled, and we could figure that out. But this is outside things that, you know, the whole airline industry or Airtrex has dealt with. So we're just sticking to facts. What are some of the things that you're hearing from people out in the field? Again, you know, people who buy Airtrex tickets are usually vagabonders. They're usually a little bit tougher yep. and saltier, not to self-congratulate yep. since I use the tickets too, but um, <laughs> what what kind of field reports are you hearing right now? Well, I think, you know, the number one thing everybody's saying, which is really beautiful, is how are you? And they mean it. <laughs> right. Is your family safe and sound? Cause there's been all sorts of, uh, I think folks are a little bit more in that regard, realize it's not the same business as usual. So that's usually how a conversation will start. And then, you know, for people that are at home and that haven't left they're, I would say if they're, if they're leaving before July, they just don't want to go right now. And, and we also work with a bunch of tour companies to do their, their flights. They're, they're thinking or they're still planning in their minds that late this year and 2021 that they're going to be able to run their trips. Whether that's true or not, Rolf, hmm. I don't know. My guess is travel in some way, shape, or form will happen again. But it, it'll probably be different you know, in, in material ways, maybe even more so than pre-9-11, post-9-11 travel. 
Well, when Dr. Santiago was on the podcast, we were speculating like, you know, they re they rejiggered security protocols after 9-11. Well, now there might be a janitorial strike force, right, on the planes and off yeah. in airports that that changed that part of travel. There might be testing. They might have to ramp up testing, you know, basically where you get a you know, a, a card that shows that you're, you're not a carrier. I don't, it's, 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 it's perhaps irresponsible to speculate, but yeah. in a way one can't help but speculate. And, and, and yeah. of course you and I are both on team travel, you know, obviously we, we, yeah. we, we want to make these adjustments, even if it's difficult, we <laughs> want to be able to travel later on. Do you Absolutely. have any prognostications about um, possibilities, <laughs> keeping in mind that it would not be a fact, it would be a story that, um, that yeah. speaks to possibilities. What, what what kinds of things do you see changing as a result of this, keeping in mind that we're all tough travelers and, and uh, if we want yeah. to make it happen, we can? Well, so many things, Ralph. I think there's an unlimited number of possibilities. And one of the things I've been really thinking about recently is the, the principles and values of the Indie Travel Manifesto, which, you know, you and I worked on about a decade ago. I've been looking at those and those things, you know, they, they still work in today's world and you don't have to travel across an ocean to experience those things. There are ways to get them in your community or a state away or in the forest. So those are, I mean, if, if global travel and we go more local, which you know might be good for the planet from a carbon perspective too. Having said that, my understanding is that global air travels two percent of emissions. You know, it's not the biggest part, but we are seeing that emissions are down as people are traveling less. Of course, supply chain and in industry is also shutting down, and are or a lot lot less. So we're we're seeing some of the after effects of that, and we'll, we'll we're going to learn a lot more over the coming months, is my guess. So. You know, that's that's one way it could go is just more local, more local travel experiences, which can be equally beneficial and maybe more accessible for more people, perhaps, because it doesn't take you can have an experience that's three to five days or a week. But it's just not sitting on a beach where they're serving you Mai Tais in a Disney resort. <laughs> <laughs> or, you know, you know, one of the things we're thinking is, you know, will will cruises ever come back from this? I don't know. Ooh. I mean, do you want to be stuck on a boat? I mean, I never I was never a cruiser to begin with. It, but it's a very large industry. And, you know, are people going to want to get on one of those things with the potential of being stuck for a month or two with a bunch of people that have some sort of or could be exposed to viruses. Now I'm not, I feel like I'm spreading fear and story there. Right. Yeah. Um, but I, I'm just thinking, so yeah. So those are some ideas. I think there's going to be a lot of opportunity too, because humans, I think generally like connection experience and, and, you know, maybe that's one of the, the beautiful parts of this is that we're having more of that now. You know, people are walking down the street in Portland and saying hi, even though we're remaining 10 feet apart or whatever it is, right? <laughs> yeah. Well, it's, so. it, it's funny. You bring up the Indie Travel Manifesto. I know that, one, you know, having helped write that, uh, one of the points is experiences over possessions, or basically that experiences count more in life than possessions. Yeah. Um, yeah. 
And I think that that holds true now. We're not going to go out and shop for speedboats right now. You know, we're not going to diversify our wardrobe. We're actually at home. And, you know, I live next door to my parents when I'm home. I see them quite a bit anyway. I I see them a ton now. We sort of depend on each other in certain ways Uh, because I did, you know, their combined age is pretty old and I do a lot of shopping for them and stuff. And so experiences and relationships as much as ever, as I travel on my 30 acres here in Kansas, uh, counts for a lot. Although then, then you mentioned the cruise ship and I thought, well, there's an experience, you know, getting trapped on a yeah. cruise ship for a while. So it's, you know, I think yeah. it just underscores the fact that travel, despite the fact that the travel industry has led us to believe, travel is never always easy and convenient. And I think people from our side of the aisle have always said, well, that's part of the fun. You know, you, you, you solve problems, you realize how much adaptability um, and possibility that humans have as people. And so I think that there is cause to be optimistic, even though we're not exactly oh, sure. Yeah. What the what the future will look like? That basically, yeah. not just as vagabonders, but just as humans, we're we're made to yeah. adapt, yeah. Um, and we're made to survive, and so um, somehow it's going to work out. This has been Deviate with Rolf Potts. More about everything that was just mentioned can be found in the show notes at rolfpotts.com/deviate, and you can contact me with insights or questions at deviate@rolfpotts.com. This episode was produced by Justin Glow. Cedar Van Tassel does the theme music. Luke Van Tassel does the episode art. Thanks for listening, and I hope you tune in for future episodes of Deviate with Rolf Potts. Mm-hmm.